and just take yourself off the mute. Okay, are we good now? We're good. All right. Nice. Good that uh thanks for thanks for coming. So for listeners, this is Tanner Arnold Arnold of uh Revelation Machinery, President and CEO. Um excited. We're gonna talk about, you know, a little bit about your background, you know, just kind of journey through this um you know, building the business and kind of where you guys are headed. Um so yeah, let's just kick it off. I mean uh, how old are you? 29. 29. Nice. I think I got into, you know, the industry at, I was 27. Um, and uh, there's not many, many of us young, young guns in the industry. So tell me a little bit about the background. Um, you know, where, where'd you grow up and, you know, how do you, how do you kind of fall into the, the industry? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so most of these businesses um, that are in our industry that deal with used equipment are, uh, you know, multiple generation family businesses. I actually grew up in a small farm town in southern Illinois, and, um, you know, my dad was a coal miner, my mom was a nurse, uh, didn't come from a machinery or manufacturing background at all. Uh, About seven years ago, seven and a half years ago now, I had an opportunity to go work for some guys in private equity that owned an industrial conglomerate. And uh, I just started traveling around the country, uh, or mostly North America. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, that just led me to see a lot of shops, a lot of manufacturing facilities around the country. And it kind of just sparked the idea. I started hearing about the used business and uh, some of the things that you know guys didn't like. Um, and I thought, hey, how can I kind of reinvent the wheel or make it better? And that's kind of what led us, you know, five and a half years ago, a little over five years ago today. Mm-hmm. Well, well, let's take, let's take one step back. So you grew up in, you know, a farm town kind of rural. D- did you always want to like get out, so to speak? I mean, obviously, you know, with your parents' professions, you know, they, that's, they're both grinding jobs, right? They're difficult jobs. I mean, what, what kind of led you to, you know, obviously kind of, connect with a, a, a P backed company, but what, what was it about, you know, first you could have done a lot of different things, but why, why did you connect with this company in yeah. the first place? And then two, yeah. Did you always growing up have like a entrepreneurial spirit or. Yeah, I would say probably starting like in my younger high school years, you know, 15, 16, I always thought, that, you know, I wanted to go off and, uh, you know, start companies and help people and, you know, create good jobs and things of that nature. So I always kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit, you know, at a fairly young age, um, in a small rural town, uh, where there's not a ton of opportunity, it probably kind of tries to suppress, um, you know, your entrepreneurial spirit, but, um, yeah, so, kind of in going in line with that on the second question you had about, you know, what attracted me to the kind of go work for the PE guys in the manufacturing or industrial conglomerate space. It was just really simple. I mean, I, uh, I lived in Kansas city for a couple of years. Um, and I, I came back to Southern Illinois and basically it was the best opportunity that I knew of. I was thinking, I don't want to work for a company 
you know, local. I want to have, mm-hmm. I want to work for a company that also has a uh, kind of spread throughout the United States. And I felt like, uh, you know, working for a bigger company, um, gave me the opportunity to learn a lot and see where that led. So it was probably one of the best decisions I ever made. I didn't know it at the no. time and I don't take any credit for it really besides, Hey, it was by far the best opportunity that I knew of, you know, seven and a half years ago. And did you, why were you in KC? Were you, did you go to school yeah. out there or what was? Yeah. So actually this is a, I'll make this story kind of quick. Um, so I went to college very briefly, uh, at a high school. I dropped out. Um, I actually played a ton of poker. Um, I mean, I played poker, like no limit hold'em, like probably a hundred hours a week. I ended up taking money from poker and started a cleaning and painting business, uh, when I was like 20 years old, uh, that, that business, I said, if I can work for myself and make $35,000 a year, I'll be happy. Long story short, we had a, you know, I ended up having like four employees, uh, a couple subcontractors and, uh, did a job. I was about a little over a year into the business and, uh, I did a job for $32,000 for uh, a large apartment complex that was worth 30, 35 million. And, uh, I did a $32,000 job and never got paid. And that's a long story, but more of the story is, is it, it it forced me to take the money that I had in the business account, pay out the employees. I used a credit card to, you know, pay for the material and, you know, the paint and the cleaning material and the, the brushes and the rolls and all of that stuff. So when I, basically didn't get paid that money i knew that hey i had nothing now my credit cards maxed out you know i've got some student debt i don't have any cash outside of what i basically paid the employees so um that's um why i left kansas city and then i came back to southern illinois and then during that small little window of time is when i guess you can say this opportunity to go work for this industrial conglomerate kind of uh open itself is that would you call yourself like what, what's your best skill set is it being kind yeah. of a uh you know as an entrepreneur is that is that being a salesman is that what what mm-hmm. what do you think that you're you know and it, not, not that i'm limiting it to one but you know why yeah i tell people all that? the time you know most of the people in the industry that i am in um they're they're really knowledgeable about machines and they're probably naturally, um, you know, they talk shop or they're naturally a salesperson. I think everybody, no matter what you are in life, no matter what your profession is, everybody's in the business of sales. But I would say that, you know, honestly, that's not like mm-hmm. my go-to skill set. Where, where I think my probably skill is that has <clears throat> helped Revelation Machinery Girl is being able to, um, bring good people together. Um, you know, smart people that are, uh, really good culture fits, but big picture. Um, my two biggest skill sets probably is that I'm a visionary person and, you know, I can basically see the big picture and say, Hey, this is what we want to accomplish. How do you want to go about accomplishing it? And then the other skill set is I'm, I'm fairly good with numbers. You know, at a young age, I've always been really good at math. I've always been able to do, you know, multiplication, division, you know, and uh, I guess you want to call it 
algebra to a sense from you know just my head without having to write things down. Uh, the beautiful thing in the business world is you know most of it's just simple uh, subtraction and addition and multiplication division. But uh, so I I've always been good with the numbers and I've always um, kind of been a big visionary person. Uh, I'm not the best operationally. That's definitely you know my weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not. I, I probably have a lot of ADHD, so I. It, it's hard for me to be in a meeting for an hour talking in the weeds about one topic. So that kind of sums me up. Sure, sure. Gotcha. So you you take all the the learnings after you know a few years, um, you know, learning a little bit about this opportunity in the business and, and, and you know manufacturer or you know the machinery industry, and then what kind of was that point where you're like, you know, f it, let's let's go. Like I'm I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of funny. I I told um, I've always been a person that believed in being transparent. And I told the people, I didn't know mm-hmm. what it was at the time, but I told the people that hired me is like, you know, I don't plan on staying here long-term. I've just always had kind of the entrepreneurial, you know, bug in me. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. I'll work really hard. You know, I'll obviously produce profit for the company. So really just in that two-year period that I worked for um, the company, I actually just kind of the light bulb hit me probably six months before I left that this is what I was going to do. Um, I'm not the guy that's probably going to come up with the next, you know, big idea. Um, so buying something and selling something is a pretty simple concept. Obviously there's a lot that goes into that, but, um, so pretty well immediately once I kind of had the light bulb hit me, I knew that I was just going to get a few things in place and go see what happens. So what's first steps? I mean, in terms of, I know you, you talked about how important team is and, you know, mm-hmm. thanks for being candid about, you know, what your strengths and, you know, also the weakness are. Do you, do you have like a co-founder or co-founders or, you know, did you? No. Gotcha. Okay. No. So yeah, I'm, I'm the only principal at Revelation Machinery and, you know, the conglomerate or the other subsidiaries, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really in my brain kind of, I, I kind of boil it down to this. You need to know what you're really good at. And you need to realize that what you think you're really good at, you're not as good as what you think. So I think what you have to first do is you have to surround yourself with other people that um, are good at the things that you're not good at. And then you need to also surround yourself with people that, um, no different angles about what you think you know a lot about because uh very t- very uh, rarely are you going to be the smartest sure. guy in the room and um so i've always kind of believed in yeah surrounding yourself with other people who know other things really really well so um i mean the first pe- the first people i brought on mm-hmm. even though i kind of did some sales at the very beginning year 1 uh, the first people I brought on were just guys that came from different industries. They didn't know anything about manufacturing. They didn't know anything about machines, but you know, they had sales experience and you know, they were grinders. Mm-hmm. Those are the first people that I brought on. Yep. Gotcha. Um, you know, obviously both of us in being in the industry, it's a very difficult industry. And, and I, I like the, the way that you describe it. Cause I, I feel the same is uh, you need grinders. 
You know, you need people who are willing to really uh, take a lot of uh, a lot of objections um, because you're, you're selling to a demographic that is um, not very logical, um, more emotional, and uh, yeah, makes makes perfect sense. Now, tell me a little bit how the model works of the core business and how you started the buy and selling. Did you, did you have capital to, to go out and, and purchase yeah. equipment? And, and what did you start with? Yeah. Yeah, so I had a little bit of capital um, at the beginning. Uh, you know, it wasn't hundreds of thousands of dollars, anything like that. Um, I actually, at the very beginning, got op- gave the opportunity to get a, a pretty large sum of money to give up equity in the company. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually didn't take it. um, And the reason why I didn't take it was I didn't know where I was going to spend all of that capital one. And number two, it's kind of goes back to the uh, idea that if you're not the smartest guy in the room and you know, that guy is, he's got to know something that you don't know. So Mm -hmm. I, you know, in my mind back then it was life changing money to have that type of capital have access to. Um, but what I did is just bootstrap per se. Yeah. I mean, it had some capital. Um, the one thing that, that really blew my mind that I don't think you learn. I mean, at least I never learned this again. I came from a small town, but the one thing that I, that I learned that just really blew my mind. I remember when I was a small kid, I always wondered how in the world does Walmart have the money to own all this stuff that's in Walmart? I mean, how how do they have the money to own all this stuff? Like, how in the world does that happen? And then obviously right. now it seems simple. And, you know, some of the people that maybe hear this are like, oh, yeah, I mean, of course I know. But the truth of the matter is, is they don't. They don't own the stuff that's in there. It's so the concept is with this business that changed many years ago right. is back in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And I guess you could say maybe even leading up into the early 2000s. All of the family businesses that I compete with today were all under the impression that you buy as much equipment as you can, you fill a warehouse as big as you can, you sit on it, and then you sell it. The reason why that's changed is because of the power of the internet. And now you can connect buyers and sellers faster than you ever could back in the day. So truthfully, no matter what, um, a lot of industries... 80%, 80%, at least in our business, and if not more for other industries, 80% of the transactions that are happen, happening are actually basically brokers. They're actually being brokered. You know, if you look at big retail chains or you yeah. look at, um, you know, our business or a lot of distribution methods, at the end of the day, by the time that person pays for that machine in our business, they've sold it. So you're not really putting up capital on the front end of buying a machine many times, 20% of the time or less, you're going to be putting up capital to buy a machine. The other 80% you're selling it before it even gets, um, before you pay for it. You're, you know, it's, you're collecting money from the buyer to pay the seller. Um, so that really blew my mind five, six years ago Yep, was that, um, you don't have to have a ton of money. And I always thought that this was just a cop-out. I always thought people said this um, and they didn't, you know, they just said it to say it. But when people say, 
that you don't have to have a lot of money to make money. It's true. And <laughs> yeah, of course it's be- about being resourceful. You know, honestly, revelation machinery has never borrowed money. Um, we've always been cash. Um, now a lot of people could say that that's stupid and how can you scale a business so fast without borrowing a lot of money and using debt? Um, and I would say, think outside the box. Right. Right. Well, I think, you know, if we take the 20,000 foot view in business and in most successful people, whether it's an individual or business, you don't use your own money. That's never been the case, right? People that are successful and even ones who could easily afford it. I was just listening to a podcast. If you're familiar with Chris Saka, maybe the reason why you would know him is because he's been on Shark Tank, but he's one of the most prolific VCs, right? And, um, Mm-hmm. he's back in the game, but on the climate change side. And uh, I listened to this podcast with uh, Harry Stebbings. It's like a young kid who came up, British guy, the 20 minute VC. And he's interviewing him. Um, and he's asking like, why didn't you just use your own money? You're, you're a billionaire. Like, why, <laughs> why wouldn't you just, you know, you're that passionate about why he's like, um, because, and here was an interesting thing. One, I, I thought it was going to be the generic answer of like, well, it's because like, I'd rather use other people's money with no risk. Right. But his answer was, which different is I want banks and people like Goldman Sachs to believe that there's money in climate change. Right. Different reason, but mm-hmm. still not using his own money. Um, I don't know how that's relevant to what you were explaining, but I was just going off on a tangent. I just like, uh, it's just really interesting. Most people that are wildly successful, they just don't use their own money, whether they're taking on debt, whether they want it as, um, you know, from an investor, from an advising standpoint, it's just, uh, super interesting. Um, but, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, I read a book many years ago called rich dad, poor dad. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have heard of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I don't follow that concept of the, you know, hundred percent, but I also think that there's a lot of truth in you have to use money to create more money. Yeah. Don't go borrow money to go buy liabilities, but if you can use money and like I said before, I mean, we're not borrowing money to, to go to build the business where it's at today. But, um, but in a sense we're using other people's money because like I said before, I'm the seller owns an asset that let's say is worth $50,000 and they are holding onto that asset for me to sell with their, with their debt or their capital or whatever. I'm turning around and I'm selling it and I'm making my commission um, or my spread as they would say with his capital and his asset. And then I turn around obviously and I sell it to the next guy who uses his money or his debt to be able to pay for that asset. And I'm obviously making, um, the difference. So I kind of tell people we're kind of in the realty, you know, realtor business world, right? We're just kind of a glorified, yeah, we're just kind of a, like a uh, glorified realtor. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Now. So tell me now for most people, and this is why I'm purposely doing this, this podcast, which, um, you know, half of the calls have not been on, on calling cause they don't know how to use the app or whatnot. But, um, Tell me exactly 
CNC machines, just so everyone knows, they basically just, you know, cut, real cutting up metal, cut right? Metal. But you do yep. CNC fabrication, and fabrication is really kind of a wide range, right? It could be sure. Yeah, metal. so kind of a, a brief, yeah. yeah, kind of a brief overview is really everything in the world that you see made out of metal, whether it's aerospace, you know, automotive, a fork you eat with, structural steel that holds up bridges and roads and things of that nature, and obviously builds, you know, commercial properties and things of that. Really, everything in the world you see made out of metal is made on some type of, you know, metal forming, um, metal working, you know, CNC machinery, fabrication equipment. So, you know, you have some machines that bend metal, you have other mm-hmm. machines that cut metal, um, CNC people refer to as chip making. So, um, you know, there's a lot of three-dimensional products that are made on a CNC machine. Um, there's a lot of uh, products on the fab side, obviously, that are cut with a laser or they're made with a press break. Um, and then we also do uh, process uh, we have a process division, which is basically a big category. It's even larger than the fabrication and the CNC, and that basically has everything to do right. with um, plastics and chemical, everything like you see in the food and beverage world or the cosmetic world. So um, really anything you see made out of plastics is made on process equipment. Uh, a lot of food and beverage, a lot of things that you would pick up in a grocery store is made and packaged on yeah process equipment that's what that that is referred to now everyone will want to know is how does one you know and we got to talk about the accolade with with you know the the ink um number 536 out of 5000 but before we do mm-hmm. how does someone get there with no knowledge their employees don't have any knowledge and don't come the background we share very much the same sentiment but how does one become even an expert or do you need to and explain, you know, why you guys are excelling and even expanding out different product lines, right? CNC, fab, mm-hmm. process, process has many different categories, right? So what, 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 how did you get to this point? Yeah. Somebody asked me that when we had the whole ink thing happen, um, you know, hey, what's allowed Revelation Machinery to have the success it's had? And I boil it down. And, you know, I'm not I really don't mean this just to be simple or to stay humble or anything like that. But it's really bringing a team together um, of people that have all different types of skill sets that help you win. See, at the end of the day, no championship in any sports won, unless it's a one-man sport, you know, like tennis possibly or golf or something. But you look at the big sports, whether, you know, you're in Europe and you're talking about the soccer, football, um, you know, football in Europe or soccer, as we refer to it in the States, um, or you look at football here in the States or baseball or basketball or et cetera. I don't care if you have the best player in the world. You You will not win any championship without having a good team around you. You know, people, you know, I live in Chicago now and people refer to Jordan as, you know, the greatest that's ever played the game. And, you know, they, they give, you know, they give uh, a hard time to, you know, maybe people like Kobe or people who are like LeBron James, because they've got, they've had really, they've had other, or at least another very talented person on their team. But what they forget is, is that Michael Jordan 
you know, based on scholars, had the top 50 player in, in the, ever in the history of sports, to be honest, team, Scottie Pippen. So you have to remember that you can be the most knowledgeable guy about machinery, but you're not going to win the game if you don't have people who, like, mm-hmm. know processes really well, know how to market really well, you know, advertise really well, um, have a good, functional, easy-to-use website. So basically, it's kind of like that saying that you can have the best thing in the world, but if nobody knows about it, how are you going to sell it? So machinery, at the end of the day, is a commodity. It's a tool that's used to make something. So it's not a flashy object. We're not selling Rolex watches. We're not selling diamonds. We, we have a tool that people use to make money or to make a product. So at the end of the day, we need to know... We need to know about it. We need to know enough about it, but we don't need to know every single moving part of it. And we don't need to know how it works. And we don't need to know how to make the part. We just need to know what is this machine worth? What's, you know, what type of end user is going to use this type of machine? And then really just simply, hey, was this a custom made machine they only made one of? Or has this company made 10,000 of these machines? And obviously, I don't think it's me giving a ton of secrets to say, I don't want to buy a machine or try to sell a machine that was made custom for one project, because that probably means there's no other buyers out there for that custom machine. So obviously, we want to buy and sell machines that have been made a lot of. So um, I I think if I had to tell you, it's really a lot of good people working hard in Revelation Machinery and a complementation of many people's skill sets. So I'll give you a quick background. So when I started the company, I started with fabrication. Um, I knew enough about fabrication to get my feet wet. Then I brought on guys that didn't know anything about machinery. My Mm -hmm. first six, seven hires were all guys that knew nothing about machinery. They weren't even in the manufacturing space. They had no idea what this stuff was. Then my number seventh or eighth guy that I brought on board, he was a guy that had been working for another company for like six years six, seven years, um, selling CNC machinery. So then I brought him on board. Then I brought other guys on board that knew about CNC machinery. Then I brought on a marketing guy that knew a lot about marketing and he was specifically in this industry. So basically I started building, I started building a team of guys that, um, yeah, that had knowledge and then obviously complemented what we were trying to do in the business um, and the pieces of the puzzle all kind of come together. So like going back to sports, it's like, if you love basketball, you know, you can have Michael Jordan, but you also need a Steve Kerr. You need someone who can shoot, right? Um, you might like Kobe back in his day, but then you had Shaquille O'Neal. So you got to have complementary pieces. Mm-hmm. You don't want to have everybody on your team who knows the exact same thing. I think it's interesting when I see founders and co-founders, who literally know or have the exact same type of background. That just seems, seems kind of interesting to me because usually you'd want to have people that knew a lot about what you, you don't know. Exactly. And I think for those who don't know, it's it's a tough industry relationship wise to get into. I think a lot of people that try to get in, either as a dealer or, or just in general from the tech side, you know, like myself, um, 
struggle because it's it's a difficult business as, as it is an old school relationship family like you said how are you able to kind of nudge your way in and be like you know i guess not push aside anyone but how are you able to to say hey yeah i i, I you know I'm, I'm gonna make it in this industry and you know it's especially with buyers that typically will go to uh companies that have been around for decades They're like well why am i gonna buy from you right like why you guys both have yeah. a thing that that i basically will work for my for my needs but i'm gonna go with you or i'm gonna go with you know john down the street who's third generation business like how do you compete there um but also keep the peace in the industry yeah great great question so i still am figure, trying to figure out that you know day by day you know how do you differentiate yourself what what it makes what makes a person want to do business with you uh versus um the next guy but i would answer your question and tell you this so there's a big organization in our industry that i'm not a part of i have nothing negative to say and i i uh i guess i haven't i just haven't made the time to go be a part of it um but a lot of the guys in our in our industry are part of the mdna so like if you're going to be it's called machinery dealers national association so most of the guys in our business are a member of the MDNA, right? Which is a big networking event, big, there's a lot of things. I don't want to talk it, you know, I don't want to simplify it because there's a lot of things that, you know, they do and have brought to the industry. And there's a lot of very reputable dealers that, you know, are part of this organization. So from day one, I never, um, I've never been a member of those, not to say a member of that, not to say that I won't in the future, but what I did was said, Hey, at the end of the day, your competition isn't going to like you, you know, they might smile and they, they might not negatively say thing about your person, but let's be real in business. Mark Cuban said it's 365, it's 24 seven. And someone's out there trying to put you out of business. So when I got into the industry, I didn't try to buddy up with the competitors. Mm-hmm. I basically said, I'm going to work my tail off. And I'm going to figure out what the customer needs, what they want, and I'm going to figure out how to make that happen. So I just started working hard, and then we started learning things. And as we learned things, we tried to make it better. And as we made it better, we just try to focus more and more on, at the end of the day, there's three reasons why guys are selling their machines. Or anything really in manufacturing, surplus assets, idle assets, whatever you want to call it. There's three reasons why guys sell. One is they're financially, their company is in uh, dismay. It's, it's, it's hurting, right? They're financially going through a difficult time. They need to liquidate so they can get cash. Number two is the business is going really, really good. And they're upgrading the new machinery. And then three is their product line or whatever they're making has changed. They have some used machines over here that they're not really using, AKA surplus. And they're just getting rid of because there's no point in having machines in their shop that aren't being used. Those are really the three buckets that everything fits in. So I've just tailored everything to understanding the customer. A lot of people, this is a gold nugget, by the way, um, that you can apply in a lot of different industries. And I didn't come up with it myself, but there's a video that I watched years and years ago by Simon Sinek, basically called the golden circle. Yeah. A lot of people in machinery business, it's kind of an archaic industry. 
Um, there's guys still to this day that don't want to embrace the internet and they just want to embrace relationships. Relationships only go so far. At the end of the day, there's three reasons why people buy from you. They like you, they trust you, or you provide something of such great value that they have to have. I want to make sure I'm not going on a tangent here, but... No, not at all. Not at all. Basically, in our business, the guys that were doing business for a long period of time, and you know their grandfathers or their fathers that were doing, it was more of a relationship type of business, right? Because we didn't have the internet, and we had a certain guy in Chicago and a certain guy in LA and a certain guy, you know, in Florida and a certain guy in New York. And they had their relationships. They had their contact list. They had guys that had bought from them and all of that. But today you have online, you have reviews. You can easily go do research and find out if, you know, a company's got good reviews and if they're legit and, you know, if it's a secure company and all of that type of stuff. So, you know, I say this, but I think, what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to create a company and just go follow what everybody else is doing and then make the steering wheel pink because it looks cool. Mm -hmm. I wanted to figure out how do you actually serve the customer's needs or wants faster, better. And obviously I'm not going to share with you exactly all of those things, but big picture is this. Speed is key, and going back to the Simon, Simon Sinek, people don't necessarily care about what you do. They don't necessarily care about how you do it, but they do care about why you do what you do. So the people that I compete with in this industry as a whole, they know machines way better than 99% of my guys that are in the company uh, that, that do this. Okay, They know the machines way better. They've been doing this way longer than we have. But where we compete is, is that I start the entire sales process with the attack. How are we going to get this machine sold? Are we going to, you know, buy it? Are you going to auction it? Are you going to broker it? Are you going to, you know, what is your strategy? It all starts with why. Why is the guy wanting to get rid of the machine? Why is that company wanting to get rid of all of these machines? When you understand that, then you can actually make a, create a solution that's maybe not cookie cutter to what you and how your company set up. So if that makes any sense, it's really starting with why. No, I mean, here's the thing, right? On a, on a more micro level, which is something the competition doesn't do is you're formulating a plan, right? In any business, if you have a plan, doesn't mean that it's always going to work. Uh, probably 95% of the time you're going to do better than the person who doesn't have a plan unless the other person gets lucky. Right. And right. by starting with why, or, you know, first principle or however you want to go approach it or, 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 or name it, having the plan and trying to execute the plan is nothing that the industry does. Um, and to your point, you know, to take one step back, the, Hey, they're always going to find me. They're going to use me because I own the machine. It's all a relationship. Unfortunately, has that's changed just when she talked about the internet. Um, yeah, people just want to make whatever they're making, and they don't they they want you to be transparent. And they don't really care, you know. Um, they just want the machine, and I think um, you know for the longest time it's it's been the way it's been because it hasn't been a transparent industry. 
right? People making 90, you know, buying something for a thousand, selling yeah. it for 20, 50. Um, and everybody likes to talk about yeah. stories. And the reality is, is that those, those don't exist too much more. Um, you know, holding assets that to be fair mm-hmm. and also right. The trust was, I, I guess my point that I was trying to say trust was so important back then because it wasn't transparent. Um, and it's because it's a used asset, right? This isn't something that just came out of a factory and has a warranty and it's buyer, you know, buy, buy as, as it is. Right. It's like all those real estate shows you, you know, you see like, Hey, we're going to take a gamble right. on this. Um, here's the comps in the, in the area, but I haven't gone inside yet. It's being auctioned off. I might get lucky, but I might not. And that's been the business. But now that it's been more transparent, um, buyers have mm-hmm. more information, right? So um, totally makes sense. Well, listen, I don't want to take too much more time. We're, right. we're going to go with uh, two more things. One, uh, talk about the vision, where we're going in the future. And then two, I like to just finish up with a couple rapid fire questions. So um, where, where is Revelation going? You know, you guys are growing really fast. Sure. How many employees do you guys have now? 36 and with the new new wave that starts here november we should have about 41 love it all right love it so where where are you guys going like what what do you want to accomplish in the next yeah so yeah so the next three four years or five years we basically want to um be the largest uh buyer and seller of used assets in the country um we obviously right now have fab we have cnc we're doing process and, um, you know, we want to be, um, yeah, we want to be spread out across the United States. So the big, one of the biggest differences between our company and everybody else is that most of all the companies have, you know, two, three, five employees, and some of them have 15 or 12. Um, but we already right now right. currently have more employees than any other competitor. But my, my big, my big vision is this, it's always been about, you go to value, you need to be able to show you have value. So that's what we focused on, and that's what we're going to continue to focus on. But then after value, you have to start focusing on likability and trust, right? So I've got guys spread out all across the United States, 13, Mm -hmm. 14 states right now. And my goal is, you know, to have in five years from now or four or five years from now would be we're at 36, 41 employees. My goal would be, you know, to have over 100 employees just on the CNC and fab side you know, another 20 or so on the process side. And then by that five-year mark, we'll have other divisions. So, you know, looking at 150 to 200 employees across the United States, I mean, Mm -hmm. who knows, maybe in Europe, maybe other continents. Um, I'm not sure. But uh, the main thing is, uh, yeah, keep doing what we're doing, get better at it, and just have the largest footprint. um, Because with the largest footprint and economies of scale, um, you can just focus more on volume and less on, oh, can I buy a machine for a thousand and sell for twenty? Because there's still guys in the business that are trying to do that, and they're not surviving. Still living in the eighties. Yeah, it, exactly. It doesn't happen exactly. anymore because of the power of the internet, the information that's out there. So today, it's all about you know volume. Of course, you need to make a good fair margin, but it's about volume. And then obviously, as you can do that volume, um, yeah. you can spend more and more money on advertising. And eventually, you kind of just eat up the space on the internet that everybody's trying to live in because your marketing budget's just massive compared to the competitors. 
Well, and, you know, unfortunately we can't dive too much into this, but something that I'm, you know, wanting to get better at, um, probably, you know, this is the first time we've ever spoke. So a uh, conversation for another time between you and I, but I think brand is really important. Something that people, um, mm. it doesn't matter what you're selling pizzas, machinery, cars, brand is very important. It's the future. Um, it already it, it encompasses everything that we've been talking about today and yep. why people buy. Um, and you know, part of the marketing, you know, well, there's a guy on, I just want to share this. Uh, so there was a guy that owned a lot of successful food and beverage companies in the Chicago area. And I just saw him at a wedding a couple weeks ago. And he says, you know, in the food and beverage space, um, you know, a, a company will get paid somewhere between, you know, six to nine times earnings EBITDA. Um, but he says the companies that get paid ridiculous 15 times earnings is, is companies with brands. He says, because PE guys, private equity guys, they're really good with numbers, okay? They can look at balance sheets. They can look at profit and loss. They can look at, you know, how long your company's been here and the market cap and all of that. And they can put a number on what your company's worth based on revenue and earnings. But when, when you develop a brand, they just, it, it's very hard for them to value, but they like it. So they'll pay you so much more because you yep. developed the brand than just a company that's got a balance sheet and profit and loss statement that's enticing. Uh, I could go on forever about this. Um, I'll, I'll recommend a book right now. I, I, it's called, and someone recommended me actually on this podcast that I reached out to. Um, it's called The Hero and the Outlaw. And it's, it's all about brand, right? Um, and it, it, the thesis of it is, is that we buy from different archetypes, for example, explorer, hero, and they, you know, a brand, as it's put very simply, a brand has a heartbeat, right? And to the point that this smart individual that gave you the information, everybody who's successful understands is brand is about emotion and it's something that you cannot quantify. So that's why it's valuable, right? Um, and it's also why it's not on pen and paper, right. Or an yeah. Excel sheet. So if you can't quantify an emotion and, 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 and that's what brand is, um, you can get paid a lot more. <laughs> so, um, yeah, <laughs> but that hell I can go on forever that's about awesome. that. So let's, let's quick do, let's wrap it up into a bunch of these quick, um, quick questions. Uh, it sounds like you, you do sure. have, uh, you know, you're watching Ted talks or, uh, books, Normally I say book, but I'll leave it up to any kind of, um, what's your favorite book slash, um, you know, just information that you, you've taken a lot from it and, um, and kind of, yeah. So that's a funny question. A lot of people stick me as man, you must read a lot of books, listen to a lot of podcasts. And, uh, I actually back in my 19s, early twenties, you know, you know, teenage years to early twenties, I was like the guy that was just consuming books, consuming books, consuming books, you know, all of that. And honestly, in the last five years, probably not a great habit, but I honestly haven't read many books at all. Um, so please don't judge, but I honestly haven't. So I'd have to kind of go back in the memory bank a little bit to tell you, but I can tell you this, um, you know, a lot of the books that everybody knows about, you know, the magic of thinking big, uh, rich dad, poor dad, um, how to win friends, influence people, you know, a lot of those books there, um, obviously are, are great things that, um, 
most people don't don't realize. But um, I would say the best quote or best piece of advice that I've ever get that I've ever had given to me would be this: You can have anything you want in life as long as that you're willing to help enough people get what they want in life. And I actually just saw something that a guy shared with me earlier this week. He said, find people that you can trust and take them all the way. If you can oh, find, man, I saw that on TikTok. Yeah. Yeah. The I guy saw that him. was, did you see that? Yeah. The guy that was in the Bentley and some guy was interviewing him. Yeah. 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 It's a billion dollar, um, uh, been it's a bunch of these kids in like Naples billion dollar empire that they're they actually built a really good brand. Um, they ask, you know, all these successful people, but yeah, I saw that too. It's funny. Um, yeah. So I mean, that to me sticks out. It's like find people you can trust and take them all the way because mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that might have skill out there. There's a lot of people that are really good salespeople and tell you bigger, that's bigger than what it really is. But if you can find people that have integrity and that you can trust, that goes a long way. And then again, it kind of goes yeah. into that principle. You can have anything you want in life as long as you're willing to help enough people get what they want in life. And, you know, you can apply that to, well, if you can get enough people, if you can create an Apple computer and you can help them get what they want in life and make a ton of Apple computers, you're going to have a lot of money, but it also goes to the concept that if you can help people get what they want in life, yeah, you're going to be financially rewarded, but you're also going to get the pleasure of knowing that you made people's lives better. You provided value. Fulfilled. Fulfilled. For sure. Um, yeah, love it, man. Um, well, I'm going to be in Chicago here uh, a few weeks stand up for a wedding, so we're going to have to grab a drink because we're, we're very, very similar. But um, yeah, sounds we'll, good. We'll, a few, few more questions here. Um, what, are you, what, what are you working on to get better then? Yeah, so what I work on to get better is I want to, you know, in, my, in, in the business that I'm in, I constantly am asking people that maybe don't even have this, you know, they don't, they're not in this industry, but a lot of my friends, believe it or not, uh, are, you know, in their fifties and their sixties and, uh, they're older guys that have had success and, you know, I don't get money from them, but the value and just our friendship and and the value they bring from business mentorship and all of that is extremely powerful. So, you know, where do I look to get better, uh, better is just, I look to be a better leader. I look at being a better, um, you know, creating a better mm-hmm. culture, because I think if you can continue to focus on culture and provide a place um, that people want to work, they're excited about working. Um, I mean, it, it it's like a it's like a, a fire. It just keeps going. And I think that so those are the couple things that I'm looking to get better is yep. just continue to be a better leader and look at how how important creating a great culture and continuing to improve a culture is. Yeah, well. I uh, couldn't agree more uh, on top of that. Like who's your kind of, do you have like an icon then? Mm, yeah. So the icons I have, you know, you would never, um, I mean, if I threw out the names, you know, they're not public figures. I mean, uh, they're just people in my circle, but, uh, yeah, there, I've got, a, I've got several people, you know, when I say several, I've got five or six guys and I've always believed this. You don't need to have 500 friends but you need, but you need five or 10 right. that you can trust, you know, they're going to be there for you and, um, we can count on. So yeah, I've got five or six guys that are, you know, older guys or, you know, middle-aged guys that, um, I learned a lot from business and then I have some other friends that, um, 
you know, I, they teach me a lot about other things in life, like how life is short and that we need to value, um, other things besides just business success, um, which is a good thing. So yeah, I, I don't have like a, I don't follow like a Mark Cuban all the time. I don't follow, you know, follow, uh, Steve jobs or, you know, anything like that. But, um, sure. That's the best way I can answer. All right. Well, let's do two quick ones. One is if you were an animal, who would you be? If I was an animal, who would I be? See, my wife would be able to answer this question really well. She's, you know, she, she uh, told me that, uh, you know, when she was younger, she thought she was going to be a dolphin, but, uh, what would I be if I was an animal? Yeah, that's pretty, uh, <laughs> that's pretty, pretty tough for, for me, but I would say, okay, if I had to throw an animal out there, I would be, uh, I don't know. I'd maybe be an eagle because you can fly up high. You can see a lot of things. Huh. Nothing really bothers you. Um, I don't think you have many predators. So I think I'd be an eagle. Very logical. All right. Last question. Um, what's your favorite like non-business activity? Hmm. Well, back in my day, it'd be poker. I love poker, but, uh, I honestly, my, my favorite non-business activity is traveling with my wife. Um, and just seeing different cultures and different people. Um, you know, You've been to Europe? Yeah, I have. First time was uh, 2019 for a few weeks. So, yeah, we'd like to get back. All right. Well, I I have plenty of places. I, I'm privileged to, to be able to, I don't know, I've been to over 50. So is my wife, and I love traveling. So many places to go in the world. And it really humbles you to see other. America is a weird place. Europe is fortunate. Um, other places in the world just... Um, yeah, it's, 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 it's phenomenal. So I'm sure we could talk a lot more about that on where, maybe where, where you should go next, but, um, listen. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I appreciate all the time, dude. Um, I know we took a bunch of it. Um, well, how can people reach you? Yeah, sure. So I actually have no social media. I know I'm one of those weird dinosaurs, but, um, I've got a LinkedIn that you guys can connect with. Um, you know, my name's Tanner Arnold and I'm revelation machinery. So you can connect with me on there. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a prude person. So I think that, uh, you know, my, my personal email that anybody can ever ask a question on is just my name, Tanner Arnold at hotmail.com. Perfect. Perfect, man. Well, thanks a lot for the combo. It was great. And, uh, yeah, thank yeah, you for having I'll, me. Uh, I, I appreciate your time and, uh, great to get connected. Absolutely. Well, uh, I'll shoot you a message in a few weeks when I'm there. I'm there in the first week of November. Um, would love to connect, man. Great, great chat. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I hope you have a great week and, uh, look forward to meeting you in person. All right, bud. See ya. Bye. See ya. Bye-bye.